Matthew chapter 5, if you haven't been with us for the last several weeks, we started a series on the Beatitudes about three weeks ago, and uh, we are in this process of taking a look at Jesus' words uh, in the Beatitudes uh, because they have great benefit for us today. And the reason why, uh, there's plenty of reasons why they have great benefit, but one is that uh, generally we all want to be happy. We, we like being happy. Um, not very many people I know really enjoy being unhappy. We enjoy happiness. However, it just seems like we, nothing makes us happy or gets us happy or at least keeps us happy. Let's, let's at least go to there. Uh, nothing keeps us happy. I mean, when, when you're little, you think, I've got to have this toy, and if I have this toy, my, my life will be so much different, and I'll be happy from now on. Then you get the toy, and the toy tears up, or you just finally, after about a month, it loses in, you lose interest. It's no longer needed. Uh, you're no longer happy, and then you just kind of move on to the next thing. And, and we can talk about kids doing that, but adults do it too. And, and so the thing is, we're always looking for something to keep us happy, but none of us gives us that long-lasting, satisfying happiness. And in the Beatitudes, Jesus is actually taking time to teach his disciples how they can be truly happy because the word blessed, how each beatitude starts, is translated blessed, means happiness, but it's not happiness based off circumstance. It's a happiness comes from a, a deep peace and inner joy that, that lasts regardless of your circumstance. So he's taking time to tell his disciples how they can be truly happy. And so we've been kind of looking at this for the last few weeks about some different ways that Jesus says the, the person that has this characteristic is truly happy. The one we're going to talk about tonight, or this morning, I'm sorry, is uh, in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have, in verse 5. So if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Matthew 5. I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. God, I pray today that you'd bless the reading of your word, and now as we begin to examine it this morning... I pray that I would decrease and that your spirit living in me would increase and that the words would be shared would be yours and not mine. Father, that you would just powerfully impact our hearts and our lives today through your Holy Spirit and through your word and that we would be forever changed because of the work that you do in our hearts and lives today during this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as with all the other Beatitudes that Jesus teaches, he, he kind of gives uh, two main ideas. And, and the first one is there's a characteristic that he says is blessed. There's a something, a characteristic of someone who he says is truly happy regardless of circumstance. And then he gives the reason or the cause, if you will, why that person is happy. And then what we've been doing is as we separate those two right in the middle, we've been looking at some biblical examples to give us an idea of what that looks like. And so we're going to follow that same principle today. And, and so we're going to look at this idea. He says in verse 5, blessed or happy, despite anything that's going around you, are the meek. Blessed are the meek. And so we're, the first thing I want us to see this morning is this characteristic of meekness and what it really means. Because in our culture today, uh, the word meek is often confused with another word that it actually has nothing to do with. But we, we consider in our culture we, uh, meekness to mean weakness. 
So those that are meek are weak, and that's the way our culture looks at people like that. And so, uh, but that's, it has absolutely nothing to do uh, with, with what the term uh, meek means. Some think that the term means weak or tame is another way of putting that, or someone who is uh, deficient in courage, so the coward, the cowardly. Uh, is the way our world sometimes defines someone who's meek. They associate this meekness with an attitude of being run over by everyone. That, that if you're meek, then you're going to be ran over by everyone because you're weak, you're timid, you're tame, you lack courage. That's the way our culture uh, looks at that. And, and here Jesus is, though, saying, blessed are the meek. And so is that what he's talking about? Is he talking about blessed are those who are weak? Blessed are those who are timid and tame and lack courage. No, absolutely not. That's not at all what the word word meek means. And so I want us to understand uh, what it really means this morning. So if meekness isn't weakness and it's not being tame and it's not being deficient in courage, then what does it mean to be meek? Well, the Greek word for meek is the word praos, and it was used in several different ways. And I'm going to give them to you so you kind of get a picture of what this, uh, this word really means. In, in the time of Scripture, the word for meek was used by doctors uh, to describe a soothing medication, a soothing medicine. That medicine is a meek medication. It is a soothing medication. They would also, sailors uh, would use it to describe a gentle breeze, not a strong breeze, but a very gentle breeze. And then farmers would use it to describe a broken colt, a colt, colt, not a colt, colt, make sure I say that right, a broken colt, okay? Now, what do all of those have in common? A, 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 um, a gentle or a soothing medication, a gentle breeze, and a broken colt, colt I'm about to say that all day, I better move on. Uh, what do all those have in common together? Well, here's what they all have in common. They all describe something that is very powerful, but is under control, right? Medication is powerful. We see the effects, if you mess up your medication, it can kill you, literally. You take the wrong medication for the wrong thing, it will take your life. When I was a, a child um, growing up at, at school, our counselor, school counselor would come in once a week and talk to our class. And, and back then there was a, a popular game uh, going on and, and I never played it and I, I don't think any of my friends did, but it was kind of a nationwide thing. And I don't remember the name of the game, but basically these kids were just taking uh, their parents' medications, dumping them in a bowl and then just cherry picking one or two and taking them. And uh, one time that happened and a kid, he, he passed out or, or whatever and they called the doctor and or they called the ambulance, pick him up, take him to the doctor. The ambulance people took the pills that were in the bowl, and, and they got into the, and the doctor came in to see him, and he said, well, uh, what did he take? And they went, we have no idea. And he picked up two pills. He said, well, if he took this one and this one, there's nothing we can do. He's going to die. See, medication is very powerful, but when used right, it is under control. So it's power under control. Well, what about a, a gentle breeze? Well, if you've ever been in a hurricane or a t tornado, you know how powerful a breeze can get, okay? Wind is very 
very powerful, but a gentle breeze, it has that same power, but it's under control. And then a broken colt, colt, I about said it again, a broken colt is the same way. They have great, tremendous power, but when they're broken, they are, you keep, the, they stay under control. That is what the word meek means. That is actually a great biblical working definition of what it means to be meek. It means to have great power, but under control. It is power under control. That is a great working definition biblically of what it means to be meek. So meekness is not weakness at all. As a matter of fact, it's the exact opposite. Meekness is great power, but staying under control. Now, what does that look like? And so the next part of our definition I want you to see is I'm going to give you a picture of what this looks like, okay? Someone who's meek, someone who has great power but stays under control um, is one who is controlled, one who is, is controlled, he's not undisciplined, he stays uh, within himself, the mind and the body are disciplined, they're never let loose, they never just go off, they're just, they stay under control, uh, passions, urges, speech, behavior, sight, touch, everything are staying under control. Uh, now, there's some Bible verses about being controlled and disciplined. Take Romans chapter 6, verse 12, for example, that says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts, and do not go on uh, presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not be a master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And then Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable for me. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So one who is meek is one who is under control and doesn't allow himself to be mastered by anything. Now, I will admit to you this morning, I have a problem. There's not very many things in my life that I think have uh, controlling ability over my personal life, but there is one, and I struggle with it. And it shouldn't take you long by looking at me to tell what it is. It's food, okay? I like to eat. I like good food. I enjoy the sensation of eating a delicious meal, okay? And so I struggle with that. But there's a, there's a man, most of you may have heard of him. Um, his name is John MacArthur. And John MacArthur is an author and a preacher in our mo modern day. And John MacArthur um, says in one of his books that, that when he reads that verse about, I won't be mastered about anything, he has the same problem. The one thing in his life that can control him, have control over him from time to time, is food. And, and by the way, I know I'm not the only one, and I know John MacArthur's not the only one. Okay, we like to eat in our country today. But what John MacArthur does is if you go eat with him, no matter what it is, no matter how much there is, he never finishes his plate, ever. He said if there is... Even if he gets down to one last bite, he will push it to the side because he will not allow that to have control over him. Now, that, that's control <laughs> right there, especially at Thanksgiving when you're on your dessert time. 
That's why at Thanksgiving, I like to eat my dessert first. That way I don't have to leave the last bite. I can leave the last bite of broccoli or something and don't have to leave. But that's what it means. That's the idea of meek. It is to be completely under control. Without, it's to have power, but to keep it under control and not let it loose and, and get out of the way. Someone who is meek is also humble. It's someone who's humble, who shows humility in his life. Now, what I mean by that, it's someone who is not prideful. Okay, um, there's someone who is not prideful before God. They understand that um, that they have no standing before God in and of themselves. That if it wasn't for Jesus, they would warrant no um, presence among the Lord themselves because of their sinful nature. Uh, he knows that he needs God. He knows that uh, God. He he needs God's hand upon his life. He he needs to be saved. He needs to be controlled by God. He is not one that's going to go as the publican did and say, Oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like, oh, so-and-so. Right? It's someone who is humble, who, who keeps his pride in check. Okay? It's also someone who is humble towards man. Okay? It's someone who knows that he is not the epitome of mankind. He knows I, he's not the ideal example. He knows that he's not a double G. And what I mean by that is he's not God's gift. Some of the youth are looking at me like, double G? Really? He's not God's gift to mankind. He knows that he doesn't know everything. He knows that he's not the smartest at everything. He knows that he's not the best at everything. He is humble. He keeps his pride in check before mankind. He, does, he knows he doesn't have it all together. He knows he's not perfect. He understands that. There's some great Bible verses about that. Romans chapter 12, Paul says that you should not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, to think soberly about yourself, to don't look at yourself in relation to everyone else and go, at least I'm not as bad as oh so-and-so. You actually look at yourself in relation to Jesus and go, oh, wow, I'm a messed up person right? And, and so it, it, we need a, a person who's meek stays under control. They show humility. And the third thing is they're gentle. They're a gentle person. It, it, it's um, the person who's not easily provoked that stays gentle in their life. He's in control when he deals with people. He keeps his cool. He's even-tempered. He's able to show displeasure without reacting impulsively. Um, he's able to answer softly. He's basically everything we're not when we're shopping at Walmart at Christmas time and someone runs their cart up on our heels, okay? That's, that's not what we're talking about. He is someone who's gentle, who responds in coolness and, and, and has a soothing answer, and he may be able to be, he may be irritated, but the way he responds is not abruptly and harshly. In my ministry, I had a great pastor I worked underneath that was the epitome of that. I mean, that's, that just fits him. Matter of fact, you guys can pray for him. He's near and dear to my heart. His name's Morgan Ashworth. He was the pastor at Lone Grove before I became the pastor, but he's real sick and having some health issues and uh, can't hardly talk. But um, there was a time where I got called, and, and he told me I needed to come in and visit with him, and said, okay, so, which wasn't uncommon, so I went and visited with him. Well, when I got in there, was a deacon in there, and uh, this particular deacon um, was not a very good man. And when I say that, I'm not talking down on him, 
But when you live in a community and you invite people to church and every one of them say, I'm not going to that church because so-and-so goes there, that's a problem. But then I got to being around him at the school and realized he's not a very good man. But here he is. And so I walk in and immediately he begins to attack me for three things. Me. Number one, he told, he told Brother Morgan and myself that I had no ability to teach whatsoever, that I couldn't teach at all. Number two, that I had no control over the youth group at all, that they ran wild, there was no control over those things. And then number three, and he did them boom, boom, boom. Number three, he's only in this for the money. Now, I want you to know in ministry, those are my three pet peeves. I take my teaching very, very seriously. Matter of fact, Justin and I had this conversation the other day about pastors and, and their what they think should be the most important thing that they do in their ministry. And I personally, mine is preaching and teaching. Not everybody's the same, but that's mine. So I take that very seriously. Number two, I didn't allow my youth groups to have control. I, they, didn't, they stayed under control one way or the other. They didn't go. And number three, if I was in anything for the money, it wouldn't be the ministry. And so he, he's, he's accusing me of all three of these things. So you can imagine how unhappy it made me, okay? Because uh, I felt attacked, and, and I was young, and, and I got a little elevated, and my pastor looked at me and said, I need you to, to step outside, and he stepped outside, and I shut the door, but the door was really thin, and I could hear my pastor talking to him, and Deacon said, I can't believe you let that minister talk to a deacon in this church that way, and Brother Morgan just said, listen, you just accused him of not being able to teach, being in ministry for the money not having any control over his ministry. He said, I don't know a single minister one that would be irritated about that and just kept his voice just like I'm talking right here. And there's just certain ways you talk to people and you may be an older gentleman and he may be a young man, but there's just certain ways you should talk to people and certain ways you should. And he's sitting there and just calmly talking to this guy. And I thought, well, it's easy for him to do that because he wasn't being attacked. I was being attacked. And then later we talked about it and he said, Dwayne, you don't know how angry I got having to sit in the room and listen to this man attack you. And he said, but you have to, and that's where I heard this for the first time, you have to have skin as thick as a crocodile in the ministry. So that's, that's what it means to be It's someone who is controlled. It's someone who is humble. It's someone who is gentle in the midst of what's going on around them. Now, that's what it looks like. So let's look at some examples of that. Let's, let's take this a step further and say, okay, who demonstrates this kind of action in their life? Someone who is meek, controlled, they're, they're humble, and, and they're gentle person. Who are some examples of that? Well, the first example I want to give you is Abraham. Okay, so Abraham, we know, is the one who God promised Abraham possession of the land uh, of Israel. He also promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. He was promised that through him there would be um, a, a, a one who would uh, rule the nations, that, would, uh, that all the nations through this one descendant would be blessed, exactly what God said, that through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed, and we know the end result of that is Jesus. Jesus is a direct descendant of Abraham. And so you have all these wonderful promises given by God to Abraham. And I don't know about you, but if God gave me direct promises like he gave Abraham, I might get a little prideful, right? Might go, you, especially if someone had a disagreement with me, which if you know the story, that it was pretty common that people had disagreements with 
with Abraham and another example we're going to talk about in a minute. But there's one specific example where Abraham and, and someone else had a disagreement, and, and it was Abraham and his nephew Lot. And the idea was, and, and not the idea, the story goes that there was uh, a, a difference, a, a problem arising between uh, Abraham and Lot and between Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen, and it had to do with the land. It had to do with the land that they were promised, and so there's the situation arising between these two. But instead of Abraham looking at his nephew Lot and reminding him of who he is, I mean, instead of going to Lot and saying, don't you know who I am? Don't you know who the promise of this land is for or to? Don't you know that it's through me all the nations of the world would be blessed? Don't you remember that I'm the one that received the covenant promise from God myself? Don't you know who I am instead of doing that? What did the Bible say Abraham did to Lot? He said, Lot, let there be no strife between me and you and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. Take whatever part of the land you want. If you move to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. Instead of, instead of demanding his own way, instead of being prideful, he was humble before God, he was humble before man, he was controlled, and he was gentle in that situation. So a great picture of, of meekness is Abraham. A second one is Moses. Moses, according to the book of Numbers, let me read this to you. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Now the man Moses, listen, now the man Moses was very meek above all the men were which upon the face of the earth. So according to the book of Numbers, the most meek man at the time on the face of the earth was Moses. However, we know Moses was a great leader. We know that Moses... Uh, it, it took some prodding. Let's, let's give him some credit, though. Moses stood up to Pharaoh, right? We, we know that, that Moses led God's people out of Egypt. He led them through the wilderness because of their complaining and because they, they didn't want to follow rules and do the things they were supposed to do. But yet Moses led them. He led them right up to the very border of the promised land. Yet Moses was considered the meekest man on the planet at the time the most humble, controlled, and gentle person on the face of the planet was Moses, according to Numbers chapter 12. He had strength under control. The third one that I'll give you is David. David, we, we know lots of stories about David. We know that David killed Goliath, right? And he did so when he was very young. We know that David was appointed to be the, the successor to the throne from King Saul. When King Saul sinned, we know that it was David that was promised the throne. We know that David, according to the way he's described, was a great warrior. He was a great warrior. We know that he was a great leader. We know Now, he was also a great sinner, so I don't want to make him out to be perfect, but According to Scripture, he was a great leader, a great warrior, yet he was meek. He had strength under control. Where do you see that in the life of David? Well, just look in, in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, and see how David reacted when Saul died. So you have Saul, who David is supposed to replace. He's going to be the new king. 
So you would think just right there, if I didn't go any further, you would think that when Saul died, David would be happy because now he's going to be king. But if you take it a step further and realize that Saul didn't like David and tried to have David killed on numerous occasions, now you've got David understanding I'm going to be the king and this guy who's been trying to kill me is now dead. So you would think David would be happy. But according to 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, when David found out that Saul had been killed, he wept. Why? Because he was more concerned about Saul and the nation of Israel than he was concerned about his own throne. David had strength, but it was under control. And the fourth example, the greatest example, is Jesus. Jesus was meek. Now, Jesus could stand up to the wind and the waves, and he did. Jesus, uh, he, he, he chased the money changers out of the temple because they were robbing people, and he turned over the tables, and we know that he said, my father's house is to be a house of prayer. You have made it a den of thieves. We know that Jesus stood up to his disciples when they weren't doing the right things. We know that he reprimanded Peter for taking his sword out and cutting off Malchus's ear. We know that, that Jesus did the right thing, stood up when he needed to stand up, yet Jesus was very gentle, very controlled, and very meek. Now, there's probably a bunch of places that I could use as examples on Jesus demonstrating meekness, but the greatest example by far is when Jesus was on the cross. The creator, Jesus, God in flesh, when he was on the cross, could have called down a legion of angels to take him off the cross and kill, the, kill everyone. But he didn't. Jesus, when he's in the garden of Gethsemane, could have rejected God's plan, but instead said, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, who raised people from the dead, healed the sick, healed the lame, stood up when he needed to stand up, had great strength under control. That's what it means to be meek. It's not weakness. It's not being timid. It's not being tame. It's not the lack of courage. It is the exact opposite. It is having great strength. It is having great courage and keeping it under control. That's what it means to be meek. And Jesus says here that the people who are meek, those who have great power but keep it under control, they're controlled, they're humble, they, they um, not only are they humble, they're gentle. Those persons, people that display that characteristic are happy. Now, how in the world is that possible? Because we know in our world, that's no way to get ahead, right? That's no way to be happy. To, to, to let people, you know, uh, say things and not respond in, in kind, not to retaliate the way we want to when they say things to us or when they do things to us, even though we can, to not do something about that, that is completely opposite of what we're told in our world on how to get ahead and how to be happy. I mean, how in the world is it possible to be happy when someone is doing something to you and you want to respond, yet you're being humble and gentle and controlled? How is it possible to be happy in the midst of that? Well, Jesus gives us the answer to that when we look at the cause, and that's the last thing we're going to look at. Each beatitude has a reason 
or a cause, a reason why that person who displays this particular characteristic is blessed. And I believe the purpose of Jesus giving them this reason or this cause uh, for being blessed in spite of, uh, because of this circumstance is to strengthen them and to encourage them to continue doing those things, to continue being poor in the Spirit, to continue to be one who mourns, to continue to be one who's meek. He's encouraging them to continue. And here, Jesus says that the reason why the meek are blessed is because they, quote, will inherit the earth. They will inherit the earth. Now, he's actually quoting Psalms 3711 right there, and the phrase inherit the earth is a figure of speech that indicates the possession that belongs or will be given to the righteous. It's an Old Testament principle. It is found in the New Testament, and it is ultimately found in the book of Revelation that, that the inheriting the land or inheriting the earth is used to describe uh, the, the, the benefit of those who are righteous or that's given to the faithful. So how does the promise of the inheritance of the world give someone strength and encourage them to continue being meek? I mean, sometimes we look at the world and you'd go, who would really want this old, dirty, old, rotten old world? But he's talking about inheriting the new earth. He's talking about inheriting the earth as a righteous person. And now, why does that make you happy in spite of that? Well, think about it. The person who's uncontrolled and undisciplined and prideful and not gentle that person is doing so because they want as much as they can get. They're not willing to give anyone anything. They want it all. They want to be right. They want to be in charge. They want to be the, on the throne. They want everything. They want the possession. And, and the way, everybody knows, the way to gain control, power, whatever, is to just be more powerful than the other person right? You just be stronger than they are. You take what you want. And, and that's what that person's doing. But the meek are the ones that are going to inherit the earth. Now, now here, here's the deal. Why does that encourage me to continue to be meek? Because I understand I don't need to conquer the earth. It's already mine. I don't need to be trying to make myself the king of the world. I don't need to try to do everything I can to make sure I'm the best and not, because this world, the thing that the, the rest of the world is trying to gain is already mine. Think of it like this. Would I feel the need to brag about myself, to be prideful, uncontrolled, undisciplined, and mean, if my house is bigger than your house, to make sure you knew that, if I knew that my father owned the city and everything in it and I'm the beneficiary of his will, do I need to brag about anything if it's already mine? No. No. So the, they can't take the world from you because it's already yours. 
So you don't have to try to demand your own way and be your own person and, and take what you can get because the world and everything in it that the whole rest of mankind is trying to gain is already yours. And so there's no reason to be prideful. There's no reason to be ungentle. There's no reason to be uncontrolled. There's no reason to be those things because it's already mine. It already belongs to me. Blessed, happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 